That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Yes, uh, check out magicfinancing.com. They are the best. If you want a new and used car, they'll be able to take care of you. Just tell them Charlie sent you. Uh, They are the host of the show here, the council. We are the council broadcasting live to you here in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Broadcasting here in Denver, all across the nation and all around the world, bringing you the best shows that we can possibly bring you here on the stream, KUHSDenver.com. We, our listeners, are listening from all over the globe in so many different countries. Thank you so much for tuning in to the council every other week, every other Friday here as we try to give you the best shows we possibly can to bring inspiration, hope, inspiration and healing to all of you out there uh, in uh, in the vast world and the beautiful world that we have. Um, we have some amazing, amazing personalities and VDJs here at KUHS giving you all kinds of live uh, studio shows and information, education. Uh, our mission is to bring quality programming that reflects the diversity of our staff, and to have honest, grounded, authentic conversations about the many issues that we're confronting in our society. KUHS stands as a beacon of hope in a world filled with fear, distrust, and separation. We strive to bring our city, our nation, and our world together by providing a platform where we celebrate our commonalities, our goodness, our humanity. And uh, we are streaming right now live. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to the council. Uh, Today, we're just going to be kind of talking open-heartedly about a lot of different things that are going on. It seems that, uh, boy, folks, we uh, we are dealing with a lot of stuff in our world right now. And it can be really difficult to kind of grasp and to... Put it in perspective and and try to get it uh, our heads wrapped around it, our hearts wrapped around it, and uh, I think we're in a in a stage of uh, of, of, of helplessness, of helpless rage. <laughs> we're angry, we don't, but we're helpless. We don't know what to do with it. We're we're we're, we're suffering from uh, a collective trauma as as this year has so far unfolded, and uh, I think a lot of us are questioning. Uh, a lot of things in our lives, um, the goodness uh, that we want and we crave so much is seems to be absent. Um, things that are coming up to the surface seem to be that have been suppressed and held down for a long time. Uh, it makes it uh, seem like we're uh, in, a, in in trouble, and in some regards we are. But I also think it leaves gives us an opportunity as well to be able to find uh, some common ground and, and to seek out higher truths and higher understandings to help us to navigate through these times in ways that when this time is over, we can look back at it and say, my goodness, <laughs> we sure went through some tough times, but we're better for it and we're stronger for it and we're healthier for it. And it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. And you can't, it's hard to get that 
that larger perspective, that more symbolic perspective on life. But it is there, and we have to make efforts to be able to do that uh, as best we can in our in our lives. Last night we had um, I had a, a co-host and I co-lead a beautiful group for uh, veterans and and uh, healers of veterans. It's an online warriors gathering that we uh, co co-lead, and uh, we had some very honest conversations about the what happened on January sixth, the insurrection. And all the fallout that that led to so many people feeling um, uh, angry about it, frustrated, uh, Vietnam veterans that uh, were on there that said, you know, quite frankly, this is not what I signed up for to do and and what I witnessed uh, happening on there. And, and then the conversation also went through that uh, among the people that, that stormed the Capitol that day, about 20% were, were veterans and active duty military and, and others who have uh, um, felt that their country was being taken from them. And I think it, one of the things that was revealed in our conversations and in our, in our gathering is uh, the, the effort that is needed on all of us to become better listeners and to not um, just because somebody has a different perspective doesn't mean we, um, we have to shame them. Um, but we need to get to a level of truth and understanding that we – and run from the same reality. Otherwise, if we're operating on different realities, we're going to be assuming that things are different truths. And that is, uh, that is a big problem, and it is what we call what has become to my attention. It's, it's a, it's a live-action response program. And this is something that's been going on for some time now in regards to our technology. And I encourage all to this, when you get a chance to go on the Netflix and watch a film called The Social Dilemma. It's, a, it's about how all the things that played into the development of our iPhones and iPads and, and Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and all the things that went into how to be able to capture our attention and the algorithms that go into that to be able to manipulate our desires, to keep us attached and driven towards these things. I mean, it's driven by our attention, our cravings, our susceptibilities and what we like and what we don't like. And if we, we hit the like button, that gives an indication that they'll be able to process that somehow. And it goes into this information uh, background they've got some we've got these people the, these organizations these companies the the government has all these uh, this information on us and it's based upon this algorithmic technology this live action response programs and so if we're susceptible to conspiracy theories like the crazy QAnon crap um They'll, you'll, you'll get more of it. You'll get more of it. And it'll take you down that rabbit hole. And you'll get further and further and further away from the truth. And it'll, it'll take hold of your mind. It'll grab a hold of your mind. And you, it, you become um, caught in their world. You're no longer living an independent life anymore. It's, uh, you're, you're, you're at the mercy of whatever that next hit is. It's, it, it, it connects to our, our, our places of addiction in our brains where we're, we become addicted to these things. What's the next? What's the next move? 
and they control you. You don't control you, yourself anymore. You don't control your thoughts. You don't control your feelings, your emotions. Your fe- and you think you're in on this secret cabal that knows more than everybody else. And that's a dangerous place to be in anything. It, you, it, it, it makes you vulnerable to being manipulated. It makes you vulnerable to being used by other people who are controlling this whole chaos. The whole chaos, getting everybody to get upset with one another, to get pit American against American. Um, you know, you can have disagreements. You can have that. But you've got to start with a, a, a foundational truth that we both agree on. This is, this is what it is. And, it has to, and there has to be an, uh, a need, a desire, a commitment by people to, to want to speak truthfully. And not to, to not to want the world to be a different way, to, to see it as it is, not as you wish it would be. You can't make the changes you want to make the changes in the, of, in the world if you continue to try to ignore what really is, what the truth is, what the reality is. And, and, and this, this problem that has, has that is, it been, it's been brewing for a long time, and we've known about it. And we've, suscept- we've kind of sensed it. We kind of have been uh, worried about it. And, I'm no- and, you know, and now that it's really bubbled up to the surface and, and we see, uh, you know, things that we don't want to see. We want it to go away, but it ain't going away. And we're going to have to be able to have these honest conversations and wonder why um, we've gotten to this point and not allow other people to control our thoughts to control us by these, these, these algorithms that keep our attention from what's really happening. And if you're susceptible to those things, you've got to be honest with yourself about it. You know, I certainly have found myself looking at my phone and, being, and wondering and knowing what I'm drawn to. And it, what's wild is, is that I'll be on it and I'll, and I'll, and I'll see something and I'll, ha- and I'll check something on my, you know, Google and it's going to, and it suddenly that very thing that I was looking at is now showed up on my, on my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed it has, how did they know that? How did they know that I was looking at that stuff? And so you've got to really, we've got to get to a place and understanding of, of, uh, of virtue, of goodness, of honesty, of sincerity, of giving your word and keeping your word, of evidence and, being, and, and facts, not tra- trying to change and alter them to, in order to fit our narrative. It's like people want to keep these blinders on <laughs> from the world. And it's, I'm only going to see what I want to see. And if it's, I see something that I don't like, it doesn't exist. And I'm going to smash it. I'm going to push it away. I'm going to keep it away from me. <laughs> it doesn't. And then if anybody comes in, then, uh, you know, I got to shame them. I got to discredit them. I got to devalue them. I got to make them an other or somebody different. You know, that what they have to say is of no value. Their experience. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a bigger problem. And uh, it requires... Um, Diving deep and healing the war within our own soul. Um, 
We have to get into our own soul. We can't eat. Nothing outside of you is doing anything to you. It's what's going on inside of you. There is a higher angel. There is a lower angel or demon, whatever you want to call it. There's a, there's a, there's a conflict that's going on on the inside of you from your belief systems, from your, um, the, th- the way you were raised in, in the culture, the, 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 the systems that are in place that um, – you know, let one group of people or keep a, some people oppressed and, other, and let other peoples have the benefits rather than having a, everybody have equal opportunity uh, to be able to achieve and go after their dreams and their families. Um, and so it, it's going to require really diving deep into what some of the ancients talked about in, in the study of the soul. You know, psychotherapy, like it's, it, it wasn't about in ancient times, it wasn't about the ment- the, your, your mental faculties, although it was a part of it, but it wasn't the focal. Psyche is, means in Greek, it means your soul. Therapeia in Greek means attendant. So basically is an attendant to the soul. That's what it was. You were an attendant to the soul. You were to help that person to heal their their maladies heal their illnesses um you know help them to whatever disturbances that might be happening in their mind was also happening in their souls and moving that and and doing all these things to to get them into a state of balance and equanimity and integrity and confronting the lies that uh, that that are out there we have we are being we have been bombarded culturally uh, society, societal, um, from all angles, uh, by lies. We are we we are institutions. Our organizations uh, have just been like pumping out lies to people, and I think that's why so many of us feel this helpless rage, like we don't even know where to, to look at anymore. We don't even know it's coming from all sides, all, all sides. And, I, and it breaks my heart to, to, to witness members of my own family get caught up on, you know, I have, I have family members on the right. I have family members on the left. I um, tend to lean uh, uh, center left. And it's just it breaks my heart to see all these things that are going on and how easy it is and how people that I adore and cherish and love. Um, I mean, it, it, it's like you can see uh, – the problems that, that you could see their mind, it's like a, like, like a poison has got their mind, like a, like a virus has <laughs> got their mind and it won't let go. And you, and you get them to tap into their conscience. You get them to tap into that part of them that knows right from wrong. You get that and that usually happens instantaneously. It happens the moment. It's so quick. It's so fast. It's so quiet. It's, it's right there in front of you. And we don't listen to it. But it's, it's probably more in alignment with your soul and your, your connection to God and the divine and life and the universe and, and all that than anything else. And we know, we know right from wrong instantaneously. We know it. But then we choose not to do it. We choose our mind comes in and it starts to reshape and reformulate or, or – reorder the things that we know are true because we don't want it to be. 
We want it to be another way. We want it to be different. <laughs> and we can't change and we can't make the changes that we need in this world if we can uh, see things as they are, not as what we want them to be. Because then we can, make it, then we can see what needs to be done. But if, we're all, but if two sides are, 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 are battling each other for what is true and what is not, we're, we, we, we're, our, our collective soul is at war with itself and we need to heal within ourselves the war going on within. And, uh, and I think we need to connect to things that, are, you know, that people are doing good in this world. There's a lot of good happening in this world that a lot of times people don't talk about or um, don't focus so much on. And, um, you know, uh, being, being neutral uh, has its gifts and has its uh, disadvantages as well because with um, being respectful and uh, acknowledging both, all perspectives, I can see things and hear things and, and, I, and I'm able to understand people in ways that a lot of people can't because they've, they've moved into their positions. They've, they've gone into their camps. And, and as I, I continue to work on this in my own practice, in my own mind, I know that somehow we have to find a way to coexist. We have to find a way to be able to live together. It's not like, okay, it's just, you know, one, group of, uh, one group's idea of how to, to conduct life and, to, and governance is the only way and the other way has no good ideas and vice versa. It's not like people who are more conservative-minded are going to live in just red states and people that are more liberal-minded are going to live in just blue states. It's not going to work that way. We're going, that, that, it's all the ingredients for implosion. Every civilization that has risen and, and fallen has had internal dynamics that bring it down. You go from the ancient Egyptians to the ancient Greeks, uh, the Peloponnesian War with uh, Athens and Sparta, the same thing. Athens collapsed from the inside. The Roman Empire, vast empire that expanded and then it started to factionalize. And power, money, greed, all the things that uh, our spiritual traditions warn us about uh, take root. And they destroy us from within. We fractionalize. The emperors, you know, they turned into the, uh, the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire as they battled for control and dominion. And they would usurp and demagogues would rise that uh, it was no longer about the republic. It was about their own grandiosity, their own megalomania, their own, oh, I guess uh, uh, it, it, it was just about them. And so this, is, this happens to, to great civilizations. And we um, are witnessing it right now before us um, as we begin to factionalize even more so. And as far as I know, I don't know if any civilization over the course of history has ever come back out of it, has ever been able to come out of that normal process that occurs with the, the rise and fall of civilizations and, and um, to come out of that cycle of the fall and to renew itself. 
I think we have an opportunity to do that if enough of us can see it. If enough of us um, are able to stay in that place of neutrality with the intent of bringing people together and moving forward and not getting caught and pulled apart by the forces that are trying to pull us apart. And they are. And they're working hard and they're working overtime. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's... So you got to get deep into what's true for you, what's right for you, what's good for you. What is goodness? What does that look like? What does goodness look like? How do you know? How do you know a good person? What are their traits like? Do you know it instantly? Or is it over time? What is goodness in you? What is, what is goodness in you? I'll tell you one thing. If you're, if you're stuck in revenge or vengeance, hmm, that's the predator in you. That's the part in you that wants to destroy. And we all have it. Not just the other, everybody does. And so, you know, if you're acting from that place, if your choices and decisions and actions are rooted in vengeance, you're out to destroy. It's not about uh, finding balance and equanimity for all. It's not about, you know, making this a better place for everybody living on the planet. It's just about me winning and you losing. You know, there are major things that we need to look at as a culture, as a society, as a nation, as a globe. We can't avoid it. (laughs) We could push it off with more we want to, but, you know, it will catch up. And anytime you push away the things that are in your, that you know are, are, are issues that you need to, to bring to light, you, it, it will always, always, always catch up. You cannot run away from you. And the same thing with uh, a nation, the same thing with uh, a world. And so what is goodness? Well, you know, what is the things that make, you know, have you witnessed it in your life? An honest person. You know, it's, uh, I've had some times that have broken my heart open. That I was coming from a very narrow-minded, selfish, narcissistic, uh, it's all about me kind of a place, which is part and parcel of maturity, I think. It's part and parcel of growing up and, and, and becoming a, uh, a functional and mature member of society. And we all go through that stage. And usually it's in adolescence. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. It, it, we become, uh, we, we miss that part of our development. And, uh, and I think maybe for me that, that's kind of what happened. And so I was in a very wild stage of life. And I couldn't quite, um, you know, I was, I was uh, morally injured from the work that I did in the military. I did not think what we did there with nuclear weapons and what we were doing with that was right. Um, I did not want to blow up people. <laughs> uh, that just didn't make sense to me. 
I violated everything that I stood for as a human being. Uh, my conscience. Again, the conscience. The, be- the ability to act from our conscience. Can we really do that? Can we really do that? Or are we just, uh, you know, allow, we say that, that's a society and a culture that we want to be able to act from our conscience. But when somebody does, we shame them. We, we criticize them. We condemn them. So aren't we, no, aren't we just hypocrites? Not allowing people to do what they know is right in their heart to do? Why wouldn't we celebrate that? Why wouldn't we raise people up like that? And maybe you disagree with them, but, not, but the act of acting from their conscience, we should celebrate, but we don't. We celebrate it after the fact, years after the fact. We, we, people like Muhammad Ali, you know, who didn't have any grievances with the Vietnamese people. They didn't want to go and fight. And he acted from out of a, a, a conscientious objector. And they stripped him of his titles. That wasn't right. They punished him for doing what was in his conscience to do. And of course, after time passed, we, 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 um, we look back and we think, my gosh, what strength, what inner strength and courage that took to do that. So do we have the eyes to see real goodness? I don't know. I don't know. And I, and I think it's, you know, I, I, the, the things that broke my heart open um, and, and opened me up to the things that, of the world that um, took me out of that closed-mindedness, that sense of, uh, of the world evolves around me, <laughs> which um, is a big problem in our, in our society. I, th- I think, is the sense that the world evolves around me. We haven't gotten out of our own narcissism to get into a place that, you know, it's not just about me. The world doesn't just operate from my, I, you know, I don't think something in the world all of a sudden changes because of me. No, it doesn't do that. I didn't want to watch that insurrection happen, but it did. I wanted to stop it, but it still happened. You know, and, and so it's it's learning how to work with with the laws of creation, and also what the understanding that what I do to you, I do to myself. What I do to you, if I add more, if I add to the 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 continuity of life, to the to the life moving forward, things tend to go better. And when I take away from it, things tend not to go so good. I mean, it's kind of a basic understanding of life. If I give more to others and I help others, then I feel better. And I'm, I'm making life better. But if it's all about me and, and me getting what I want and I'm just, it's all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make choices and decisions 
that are not reflective of what's the highest good for me or for all. It's just going to be what I think in the moment is, is, is going to satisfy my desires, is going to satisfy my, my cravings. And I'm going to hurt people along the way. And I did. <laughs> but I also broke open. And there was a couple, and I'd like to share them, a, a few of them with you today. And that broke my heart open. And I hope as I, as I think about these and, and share these with you today that you think about your, in your life. Because we all have those moments where life is trying to break us open, to break our heart open. So that we can let more of life in, let more love in, let more compassion, let more goodness in. It breaks us out of our ego constructs. It breaks us out of our uh, rigid uh, belief systems where it's got to be my way, you know, and it, it breaks us open in that way. And anyway, there was – there was, um, I have a number of, of stories, but one in, in 2001, I was, uh, I was, I was in, a, in a wild stage of my life and I was – uh, lost and confused and angry, and uh, I had uh, suffered from um, a, a lot of trauma, PTSD, um, moral injury, and I was seeking a period of uh, escapism from the reality that I was in. Now, what, I didn't want to deal with what had happened. I, I didn't understand really what had happened, but I was going out and partying, and I was out in the world, and uh, and I was traveling, and I was with a group called the the World Party, and we traveled to Brazil, and we were there for the uh, uh, New Year's Eve celebration. And I'm for my listeners who are tuning in for Brazil, I'm going to I'm going to uh, butcher this. I apologize, but it's the Réveillon. Um, celebration that they have at uh, in Rio de Janeiro in Copacabana Beach. And it's a beautiful celebration. Uh, 1.5 million people go out on the Copacabana Beach on New Year's Eve. Everybody's clad in white and they're dressed in white. And all the people come from the, the hills and they're playing the music and they're dancing and celebrating and they're throwing the lilies out into the ocean to, to ward off the evil spirits and to bring prosperity and goodness and, and health into the into the new year. So it's a beautiful celebration. And during that trip, well, we also uh, were delivering presents to, um, to some of the children that were living in the barrios. And it was my first time really really witnessing and, and seeing abject poverty. Like poverty that I had, I had never seen before. And I would look, and, and we were driving down the highway, and we would look, and you know, to my left, I remember on the left-hand side was Rio de Janeiro. Beautiful. I mean, one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. And then on my, on my right side, was the barrios and the people that lived in such uh, my god like we couldn't go in there such abject horrible poverty 
And we would we went to, towards the gates, so you know, to the get to bring them, and, and the kids would come out. But we couldn't go in there because, as a as a white man, I couldn't go in there. They would, uh, Western man, I couldn't go in there. And I was just the disparity between the rich and the poor was in stark contrast that I had never seen before in my in my life, and it, and it cracked me open a little bit. And I was like, "This is wrong. This is horrible. How are people living like animals like this?" How do we as a world allow this to happen? How, what is this? What started this? And it made me sick to my stomach. And what people had to do, you know, especially, uh, especially women and, and others that had to leave the, their, their places to, to, in order to – the work that they had to do in order to get ahead. And uh, it made me sick. A lot of the people that worked in the fields there at the time, and this was back, again, this was back in 2001, they, um, they would had, you know, if they worked in the fields and the farms, they'd work 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day, six days a week. And they would make, in their money at the time, the equivalent of about seven to fifteen dollars a month. A month. Made me sick. And it started to open my eyes. My heart broke there. It didn't take me out of my narcissism, but it started to break there. <laughs> I had a lot of things to get me out of my own uh, narcissism, but that was one of them. And it was significant, and it stayed with me, and I, and I, I remember it, you know, as a significant, significant event that awoken me to that there are bigger problems in this world than I need to attend to. Another one was um, back in 2005, and I worked for an organization called the, uh, the United States International Mission. And uh, we were out trying to bring um, attention to and help to eradicate the child sex slave trade that was going on in Southeast Asia. I think it continues to go on. It's a crime against humanity. Um, It makes me so angry uh, about the things they do. And that's why I get so upset about this QAnon shit because the people – like I was working with, who were doing the right work and are trying to help those girls and those children and get them out of that are being they're, – they're, the good that they're doing is being hijacked by these looney tunes. And so I was working with that and, and I was, I was uh, trying to raise money to help build orphanages for the children as well so that they could – for the Hmong children to help them – have schooling to take them out of the, to their villages and, and to be able to, you know, have a chance at, at life. And when I got there to Thailand, I, I flew to Thailand and uh, um, Taiwan, uh, South Korea, and, uh, and the, the Saipan Islands. We were using Saipan Islands, which was American territory f- uh, from World War II. Uh, after World War II, and there were, there were some schools there that or properties there that we were using for 
to, for schools in order to bring the girls over there once we rescued them to learn some of these skill sets. And uh, I remember being when I first landed there, and I had my translator, and we met with this uh, uh, general who was uh, going to help to provide security for us as we would go down into the to the border of uh, Thailand and Cambodia. And unfortunately, when I, the, just the way I, the, the year that I landed there, uh, or the time of the year that I landed there, you know, the the there was flooding. The, the, whole, the whole plateau right there was flooded. All the roads were flooded. We couldn't get down to the border there. And what would happen is, is that a lot of the times, I mean, these poor Cambodians and Vietnamese, what would end up happening is, is these human traffickers would pay these poor people promising that their children would be going to America, as an example, to get an education, to get an opportunity that they were. And so they would, because the parents didn't have anything to give their, 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 their daughters or their sons, they would, they would exchange it uh, with the, under the promise that their children would be given an opportunity and then they'd go into these um, prostitution rings. And it was appalling. And uh, there, while we were sitting there with the general, the, uh, there were some, some girls uh, that had escaped from their traffickers, and uh, they were hiding in one of these areas. Uh, these, the, 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 these people that were there to help, to, to, keep, to, to protect them. And my translator just gave me the phone, and he says, listen to these, to talk to them. And I said, I, I, I don't know Vietnamese. I can't, I can't speak. He's just, listen to them. Just hear them. And I remember putting my, you know, trying to talk uh, and saying hello to them. And just the fear in their voice. And there was nothing we could do at that time. We couldn't get down to them. And the translator told me that what they said to me was they, they thanked us for trying to help. But we couldn't help. And um, broke my heart open. You know? And uh, and then we, uh, we arrived in the village. We went up to Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai was... Uh, where the Hmong villages are from at. And then we went up there. And uh, it was, we were helping this pastor who was uh, um, working. He was also Hmong. He was kind of a celebrity in, in the Chiang Mai, which is in northern Thailand, to a lot of the Hmong villages. And uh, he was trying to help build this orphanage to bring about 60 orphans to this, this school. And, uh, you know, most of the Hmong parents uh, were not very educated. They lived in very rudimentary, like very primitive conditions, very primitive places. And, um, and so we took um, – he took me up there to go see some of the places. 
and some of the children that were going to be uh, a part of this orphanage. Uh, a little background, at the time, the drug trafficking trade that was going on between Burma and Thailand and other places, uh, was they were recruiting a lot of the Hmong parents, uh, fathers, to do this work, and then you know, it was decimating their, their, the, the population. A lot of them were going into jail. A lot of them were getting killed, becoming drug addicts. I mean, terrible things. And so that's why there were so many children that were orphans. And, uh, and so we went up there. And the villages, they were really like these conglomeration of these bamboo huts with these corrugated tin and thatched roofs. Um, thatched roofs. Um, there was timber that leaned on the sides, the, the clotheslines that they would have that would lift up the clothes off of the ground. Um, there was roosters that crowed incessantly, uh, chickens that ran around, and uh, children that were, were holding babies and uh, peering out. And, and most of the time were very bashful. They didn't, I think, maybe a lot of them didn't know and had never seen uh, a white man before, a Westerner before. And uh, one of the pastors, he takes me to the pastor, he took me into this, to this room where this, this child was at. And uh, um, he was a nine-year-old kid. His name was Song Chi. He lost his parents. His grandma was looking after him. And uh, it was a very small child. And uh, all his life, he lacked nutrition and medical care. And uh, because he was an orphan and his grandma was very poor, uh, it was a very, very desperate situation. And um, this grandma was, we would just stare out and just look longingly. And here there was just this dilapidated pl- place. And he was so terrified of me, too. And I just like, oh, my gosh. I had never witnessed ever in my life such abject poverty. And there was, you know, plastic bowls and food and, and, and uh, musty. There was an odorous stench of, of, uh, of mud and ash and wood and rotting food and uh, unwashed bodies. I mean, it was in the air. And I just was – I stood back and scanned and I just um, – I, I and I always think back about to my own childhood and how lucky and how fortunate we are. And I and I just desperately wanted to hold on and give this kid a hug, but uh, he, he didn't want to, and it just left a, very, a huge impression on, on on my mind about the poverty and the injustices that exist in the world, and that very often guys like me, Americans like me, uh, didn't know until it was actually, I actually saw it with my own eyes. And so it changed me. Um, and there was another kid that was there, and his name, let me see here if I can find it. Um, his name was Ying. And uh, when I walked into this one, uh, into this village, uh, again, we walked into the, the hut and there was this uh, mud floors um, platform where 
all the families slept, the grandma, the grandpa, the mom, the children, and they had a fish, fishing net that came from the ceiling to the platform where they slept, all of them. And there was just a rug that kept them up from the wood platform and it was raised. Mud floor all around. Um, a, a pot where they cooked all of their food. And uh, again, a table where their, 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 their food was hanging. Uh, up off the ground so the animals and the insects wouldn't get it. And this bitter odor uh, of, uh, of, of, of spoiled food, of, of feces, of things that, uh, you know, we would we'd take for granted, the cleanliness, we, uh, it, you know, infected or um, um, took over my, 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 my olfactory sense, and I was overwhelmed by it. And they just walked around in these ragged clothes and no shoes and dirt all over their faces. And they keep, these kids were eating scraps. They were eating scraps. And there was this little, the youngest, there was three children, and they were all around this little bowl of, of food. And there was a youngest girl, and she was just a little toddler. And she was cheerful as cheerful could be she just had a little shirt on and, and no bottoms and she was running around and was happy as happy could be um, because she was surrounded by love and dirt and mucus all over her face but she was laughing and smiling and running around and to her she didn't know any different she was just a little girl but uh she was surrounded by people who gave her anything everything you know food shelter clothing water love and, and, and she was still too innocent to really understand. Um, but the Ying, the boy that I came to see, the nine-year-old, he suffered from malnourishment. And he was sad. He, there was a sadness. He was very small. He was very sad. And he was extremely malnourished. And uh, um, he needed milk and, and, and food. To, to rebuild his body and a balanced diet so that he could grow up healthy. And this wave of sadness and, and, and self-pity too and, and, and pity and, and guilt and all those things, all those emotions came over me. And he was just humped over his food. Uh, remember, they're all squatting down and there's no, no chair. They're all squatting down over this bowl eating this food. And they were humped over their, their food like a, like a dog a bowl and just eating the scraps out of this bowl. And my heart just wept. And, and, and one of the things that was asked of me was to be able to take pictures so that I could use that as part of my report that would go back in order to, to get the funds um, for this orphanage. And this amazing thing happened. I know I've been I, – I was kind of prepping this whole – story for this event that broke my heart open. And I go there to take this picture with this boy, with Ying. And as I approached him, and as I'm squatting down to, to get to him, uh, he does this amazing thing. I look down at him, and I'm thinking of he's looking at the camera, but he looks at me and instinctually Selflessly, he, this little boy, scoops up a bowl of his rice, not for him, but for me. 
This boy fed me. This boy who had nothing fed a man who had everything. It was instinctual. It was unprompted. It was deep from within his his being, his understanding. It was this particular act was such a an act of generosity and genuineness, altru altruism. And it really let me witness what it means to to be a part of this world. That it's in the act of giving that we truly um, connect to our humanity. And not just in giving money and not just and that's all important in, in the things, but he acted in a manner that is universal across all situations, circumstances, events, or times in history. His unselfishness, yings, as when he fed me, was not merely an act of charity or kindness. It was a principle of action. He gave what little he had despite his condition. Because his concern was about my welfare and not his own. And that's the goodness that we've got to see in the world. We can find that's available to us. You don't have to travel overseas. I, I was fortunate. I was very lucky to be able to have these opportunities to do that. Um, and I have one more that I want to share before we close. But I, and I was fortunate. I, I've been lucky, very lucky in that way to be able to see that. And it broke my heart open and it made me realize, my goodness, uh, I've been a pretty selfish man. I can't see the world the same way that I saw it once before. Uh, and it began a, a, a long, slow process of transformation and transition for me. And, I, um, and it, I, it continues uh, even today. But you've got to find the goodness like that in your world, in your communities, in your homes, in your families, watching your children, watching your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your, 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 your friends' children. Uh, you know, see the goodness that is there. Cultivate it, grab it, recognize it, praise it, reinforce it, encourage it, elevate it, give it prominence. We've got to give our prominence to the thing, to the good things that people do in this world, not to the negative things, because people know how to do that, how to manipulate you by the, th the, the, the dark things that we're capable of doing. We've got to cultivate that virtue. That was so innate. That was right there in that, in, in that child, in that moment. What he did was a gift for all of us, for all of you who are listening to this show today. It was a ripple effect. So what breaks your heart? Open so that you can love more. The last one that I want to share quickly with you uh, happened a couple of years ago um, when I went to Lebanon. Um, I had this opportunity 
brief but short uh, but incredible too um, to help with uh, the the people that were struggling from the Iraq war uh, war in Syria with ISIS and the things that were happening there and um, we uh, we went there to help the refugees that were coming in from Iraq and Syria and uh, it was a Christian uh, group. Um, and, they're, and they're wonderful people. If they're tuning in and they're listening, I, it was, uh, I cherish those times. Uh, and we were doing some good work to help them. And there was, uh, we were trying to help to bring some medic, uh, medical supplies, food, um, equipment to help these, these refugees that were coming in and to know that people cared about them. And again, I was filming and, and uh, being the spokesperson to, to help people back here in the United States to support uh, the mission. Um, uh, and uh, we walked into this one woman's home and she had, f- she, re- she had fleed Iraq and she had two horribly um, disfigured sons uh, and a daughter who, uh, who helped her to, to, to care for them. And the grace in this woman was otherworldly. She didn't complain about what she had. She just wanted some help to support them, to take care of them. To, But she had such strength. And of course, in, in that part of the world, it's... Uh, it's Jesus, it's uh, Islam, it's Muhammad, it's, the, it's those, uh, the Judeo-Christian foundation. Uh, but there's a, there's a strength, and, and, and I've seen this strength when I, like I, when I was in, in Thailand and, I, and, the, and Buddhism and in India. I haven't been there, but I know that it's there in India as well, this, this immense strength, this transcendent strength. And, and I witnessed it with, with this woman. And I was like, wow. What is that? It's a mystical strength. It's a mystical power that is no human being can can manufacture that. You cannot pretend that. It, it you, you have either embraced it, cultivated, endured it. I think it comes from endurance. I think it comes from a deep spiritual understanding that sufferings happen, that we are that no life is 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 um, exempt from suffering, that we and like what we're all experiencing now, it's a, it's a major suffering that we're going through, and I think it's this endurance, this acceptance of what is, not wanting it to be different. But a willingness to accept this is what this is what God gave me, and I'm going to do the very best I can to get through this. And she was there was a there was a joy about her too. That was where did that come from? And I was just humbled by it because I didn't have that. But at least I was able to see through the eyes of my soul to see it and recognize it. 
and know that if one person can, can have that, we all can. We all have that. We get to choose, though. <laughs> we get to choose whether we want to have that kind of depth of faith and courage and strength and endurance that comes with your with that lifting lifting your suffering to a greater power than yourself or not and uh, I learned a lot of my heart broke open again and so I hope you take away from this show today um, some stories that um, can lift you up and lift your spirits during this time to give you strength, to give you hope, to give you a sense that uh, we can all get through this together and that uh, allow your heart to be broken open in a way that allows more love to come in. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the council today. I want to thank KUHS, KUHSDenver.com. We are the stream broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado to not only all across this great, beautiful, wonderful nation, uh, but all around the world as well. Um, listing, we're being listened to on six continents uh, by so many people. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Henry, for all that you do in the back there and keeping this, making it so seamless and uh, making the magic happen. And for everybody here at KUHS, thank you. Um, we will be back next month. Tune into the council for some amazing guests as we continue to give you truth, to give you um, a sense, the, a place where you can call home. All right, folks, thank you. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless everyone. We'll see you soon.